Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reef podcast. Today's guest is an actor, a singer, a tap dancer, a writer, a TV host, and a producer. And that's just some of the things that this guy does. Very multi talented. <laughs> yeah. His name is Roger E. Palomino. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for the invite. And, uh, and yeah, I think you pretty much covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going through all of these things and I'm like, because it, it makes sense to me. I've, I've had a few actors on, on the show before and I've done a little bit of acting myself. And I, I know that it's, yeah. I, think, I think it's fair to say if you work in, in any kind of entertainment role, you tend to be involved in all of these different things just by nature. And that's the, true. That's the thing. The more and more people I meet and the more I kind of get up to date with it, the more I understand that there's this thing in the industry that's like the three, I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's like, if you can dance, sing and act, then that's the triple three. threat. Yeah. So like the three bases kind of covered kind of deal. Yeah. Like, is that like, are you, have you always been sort of this way inclined? Cause I find with myself, with what I do, um, yeah everything's kind of been natural. So like if I take uh, acting as an example, you know, that's only something I did last year. But as soon as I did it, I was like, oh, this, this is just like music, which I've done all my life. Like it's, you know, it's natural. I mean, right. how, how was it for you in terms of, not before you got pro professional, but when you were kind of just starting out, like what was, what was that like for you? Wow, early on. Yeah, I think my early influences because uh, my family and I were all originally from Lima, Peru, South America. And uh, so because of my dad's job, it relocated him to Venezuela, uh, also in South America. And so when we moved there, I remember my very first exposure to television. I started watching a lot of black and white projects, especially black oh. and white film and comedies, you know, from the USA. And I think because during that time, that was the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was really big. Uh, back then, I remember a lot of programming was from the USA predominantly. And so I think those were my early influences. And I think I, I as a child, would try to imitate and replicate a lot of the action and maybe the dialogue not so much because I was barely learning English. But uh, eventually, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> so we're, we're talking, you know, maybe like your Laurel and Hardy, Charlie Chaplin, that kind of thing. Is that more yeah, Laurel and Hardy, uh, Chaplin, uh, the Three Stooges, uh, right. Little Rascals. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to me, actually, because I remember that stuff, I think, because I know my grandparents are fans of Laurel and Hardy. And when I saw it, I was like, this is genius, like, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it's something you don't see as much anymore. I don't know if what that you, what that's about. You don't, you know, and I noticed that too. That's one thing I really love about the UK and also my early influences uh, because my dad would watch uh, Agatha Christie and right, Sherlock yeah. Holmes. And he was a big fan too of my dad I, because of his generation. You know, he, he introduced me to Benny Hill. I was like, who's that? And so as a kid, I started watching. I was like, oh my God, that's that's crazy and hilarious. But you know, I, I really had an appreciation for that slapstick comedy. I'm like, wow, you know, that's okay. So that's pretty interesting. So a lot of my early exposure was uh, British programming. So I think that's really what I, um, what I attribute a lot of my influences to as well. I get that. And I mean, the one, that's one thing that's amazed me, particularly when I've lived in different countries around Europe is like the, the reach of, of uh, British media. Cause obviously like American media and, and its proliferation is, is just 
how it is everywhere in the world you know chances are you know like the major movies and tv shows and stuff but with the uk it's a little bit more niche by comparison depends but with that being said yeah like i've met people say in the states that know of benny hill and i'm like how do you know about benny hill like it's such a <laughs> oh it's weird like <laughs> yeah here, here is what we call in repeats on certain networks because they know there's an audience that loves that that mm. loves that programming and um and maybe that might be something that's a trend in different parts of the world like maybe they get more programming from outside than watching a lot of their own maybe because uh, yeah. i've noticed that in the uk there's a lot of um for example, I think there's an appreciation, you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's a lot of an appreciation for like the, the golden era of Hollywood in America and early jazz from what I noticed. Yeah, I think it depends on, on, the, on, on the circles. It's like, it's like I said before, like obviously, you know, my gener our generation, we know about you know, people like Chaplin and, and, and you know, all these older generations and stuff. But I think that um, maybe it's not as like more as mainstream as it was kind of thing. And like when it comes to the American media in the UK, obviously we have a lot of like contemporary shows and stuff. And from what I understand of the TV industry, it's like, like companies like buy these packages. So whatever like country you're in, it's kind of luck of the draw actually what, what um, movies or TV shows you'll get. And the same is yeah. true of music as well. So like, for instance, this is really left field, but I lived in a country in Europe called Estonia for three years. And um, oh yes, recently moved back to the UK. And I remember that they had this like retro station where they play like you know eighties, nineties music, right? And it would be music that they kind of nice. grew up on in that country. So it'd be a lot of like foreign stuff. But then they had all their own stuff from that time as well. But it, I noticed like the playlist was very specific. It's the same songs all the time. And it's right. like, I would sit there listening to them like, okay, some of them I get, you know, like, okay, there's some Queen, there's, you know, a bit of ABBA or whatever, right? But then there'll be like really random stuff. Like, like you remember that song by that band? I think they're called the Crash Test Dummies where the song's yes. like, mm -hmm. I was like, this is such mm -hmm. a weirdly, yeah yeah i do song. actually wow yeah that that brings back memories yeah <laughs> that brings back memories yeah I, I i i grew up listening to that and 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 yeah uh estonia correct me if i'm wrong that was a former soviet union okay yeah, yeah. uh yeah and it's amazing that uh here when i meet people they're amazed that i might know that because and the thing is uh my parents, especially my daddy, would always get me to watch programming other than just American programming. Yeah. It was like, you need to just, you know, as a, as a child. And I think I'm appreciative of that because I think I have an appreciation for just different cultures. And he would always tell me, you need to watch something other than just American TV, which is great, but you have to expand your horizons. You never know where you're going to get a chance to travel. And he's told me that because as a geologist, a former geologist, he had an opportunity to travel and, and he has like a big love and appreciation for the UK for a lot of obvious reasons. But he said, uh, before he, I became an actor, he uh, would tell me, Oh yeah, the, a lot of culture and art and uh, the best actors, which is true. And I'm like, yeah. So I, I paid attention to all that. I think that influenced everything I do now to, to as well. So. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a solid point. I mean, you know, obviously with me growing up in the UK, like I could obviously relate a lot to, to Americans and, you know, I'm very used to the media and stuff. And it's just something, it is the way that it is. But when you start traveling to other countries, you know, it's like, 
where, where it's so foreign and so different and you're like oh okay and then like you said like yeah. it, i think it goes into all areas of your life like once you discover like huh okay <laughs> people live in totally different ways in other parts of the world and think differently and act right. differently and everything is different movies you know like i found some of the most amazing music ever and, and films too from yeah like countries like estonia and it's like oh wow okay um and it, it, to me it's it's fascinating like i i can't believe that people don't travel more to be honest like i think it's one of those things that it, it seems to be like like that's a hobby do you know what i mean like that's a hobby traveling is a hobby and it's like i get it yeah but it, sh it should just be something that people do like eating or i don't know sleeping like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And you're right about that. I think that's probably the, the, I'd like to call it maybe the envy people have of Europe is that because the countries are so close together that, yeah. and, and, and different modes of transportation are accessible to everyone. So I think it makes it easy to just hop on, let's say uh, a train and say, you know what, I'm going to go to um, Italy or, or wherever you want to go, or, you know, from like, let's say London, I'm going to go to Wales um and so that makes it a whole lot easier uh when they're so close together versus like the usa so huge yeah. um and, and some of our states are you know further out uh west and so that makes it a little bit of a challenge and then you know canada is also a big country and mexico and latin america you know it's um further out so so yeah i'd say it's easier to travel in europe i would say just based off of the way it's set up Anyway, let's bring it back to you. So you said that, yeah, you were born in Peru, but you then moved with your family and grew up in uh, Maracaibo in Venezuela. Correct. Now, I just yeah. wanted to kind of just ask you on this real quick, because I have some friends I've worked with over the years that are from Venezuela. And uh, oh, yeah. they're, they're, like really, <laughs> they're like really chill and casual about this. And I understand now because I've had friends in Europe that have lived in like similar tough situations. So I understand it's like, being numb to like crazy stuff but to me a british guy who's never experienced this i'm like what but anyway yeah uh there's many that say that it's one of the most dangerous places to live in the world what are your thoughts on this being that you were actually you know living there for a very long time and um what was it like sort of growing up there when, when you were there uh, i would say um uh... I had an advantage because as a child, I moved to Venezuela. We moved there officially in 1978. So we were there in the late seventies, early eighties. So I think back then it was a, a entirely different time. Um, and the reason why I say that is because the, the community that we lived at, it was a bunch of families that were also in geology and petroleum um, just because of, you know, the, the country's very rich in oil, kind of like right. where I'm at in Texas. So, um, I, I had exposure to so many different, um, cultures there already with kids. And I think maybe that's why my appreciation for so many cultures, because, you know, I had kids that were Dutch, there were kids that were South Ooh. African, uh, kids that were from Trinidad. So, um, I, then it was dangerous, but maybe not as much as like now within the last 10 years, I would say, um, and, and it's dangerous for both nationals and um, foreigners alike. So it doesn't matter how you're dressed or what you look like. It's, it, you know, it's, you always have to take safety precautions just because um, of everything that's unfolded within the last 10, 15 years, I'd say. It's just this concept of, of like no-go zones is, is what really blows my mind. Because yeah. you know, I grew up in London. There were places that 
there's this place in in, uh, in London called Brixton, for example, which I mean, I don't know if it's the same now, but when I used to go there, it was the sort of place that you couldn't walk down the high street during the day without there being some trouble. You know, most people, if you live there, you're a local, you're fine, you know, maybe. Um, but it was like, a, like it was described as being like a no-go zone. But when, uh, when it's compared to like places like, you know, certain parts of Venezuela or certain parts of America or, or wherever else in the world, like no-go means no-go. It's like you said, like it doesn't matter if you're right. a national or even a local. It's like right. going there pretty much means death, which that blows my mind right there, that, that concept. <laughs> uh, completely, yeah, yeah. Correct. Madness. Anyway, um, yeah. So then you moved to Houston, Texas, and okay. So what? What kind of? Let's before we ask this question, I just want to know. Like, sure. you said that you you moved from Peru to Venezuela at the tail end of the seventies, and it kind of sounded like you were there when you were quite a young, maybe young child, maybe like four or five years old. Is that right? Something like that. Correct. Yeah. So, so like, how old were you when you sort of left Venezuela? Uh, I was seven and uh or or i was going to be seven actually and we moved to houston texas spring texas actually in um i I would think i believe it was january of 1981 and the reason why i say that is because that january because we're leaving a very tropical climate in maracaibo venezuela um very tropical very humid and uh, moving to Houston, and at that time, it was snowing. Uh, well, oh, wow. at least what we call snow. And in other parts of the USA, they'll call it sleet. <laughs> Very yeah, 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 snow, yeah. But, but it was snowing. And so that was my introduction to like, oh, wow, snow. So, uh, yeah, I, we moved, uh, and I was going to be seven that year. So Damn. Yeah, this yeah. fits into my next question. Like, Was it a major culture shock for you? Like, how did you adjust to that? Especially being a, a child as well. I mean, not every child is, you know, I know that like when I was a kid, I was pretty adaptable, but I know that like, other kids like it, it, sometimes if there's a major change uh, and your parents can't, you know, you can prepare your child to a degree, but with a different culture, it's like everything's different. yeah yeah totally uh when we were in venezuela my my parents um were planning ahead that they wanted to eventually move to the usa mainly because my older sister was going to graduate high school uh and go to to the university and so um (coughs) in venezuela and maracaibo i was already enrolled in an american school and the reason why Uh. is my dad wanted me to learn english fluently and i did but maybe not as much as when i moved to houston so when we moved here i had already um, had friends from different parts of the USA and the world they, from English speaking countries. And so uh, I think my shock wasn't necessarily so much with culture, but it was with the classroom <laughs> size. Yeah, Cause yeah, I, yeah. I went from like a class of like 10 kids, including myself in Venezuela to like a class of 25. That, so I think Damn. just seeing the big amounts of people at one time maybe was the shock for me, but that only lasted maybe one or two weeks and by then i had made friends and so i i got over it fast as a kid <laughs> i guess you you were pretty like outgoing kid by the sound of things then it wasn't yeah once you got me to <coughs> get out of my shell uh yeah you couldn't get me to stop talking and i think <laughs> some teachers early on would say okay you know you need to pull a card and it had a different color like you know if you're talking out of turn or you're talking too much in class you know <laughs> cards so. this is interesting a card <laughs> yeah 
yeah a card system like you know it's green and when you pull the card and it's yellow that's like a warning and so i, I think oh, the color okay. that followed that was like orange and then red you're in deep trouble so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just so interesting to hear that around the world like, my experience yeah. is really different like we we had uh this war at least in well, I, I don't know what you call junior school middle school something like that um we had a minute system so and it sounds oh. really ridiculous now but basically every friday half an hour before we we're about to go we had this thing called golden time which was 30 minutes right so during the course of the week if you uh were bad for whatever reason you would lose a minute uh, you get a couple of warnings before you'd lose a minute, but it was made like, oh, this is very serious. And it was kind of messed right. up now I think about it. Like <laughs> when it would get to that day, everyone that had uh, like minutes had to basically stand <laughs> where the board is and basically e either one or two things, either one, they had to stand and watch the clock and hear like everyone else behind them having fun until their time was up or they had to stand and watch everyone having fun <laughs> until their time was up. And I, I sit there thinking about that now. Wow. Like, that's actually kind of messed up, you know? <laughs> it would. I, I think if, if I would have had that early on, it probably would have had me in line. <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not acting out of, out of line or talking yeah. out of turn because, you know, I don't want to be watching everyone having a good time. It's just sick, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds almost military because, you know, it's equivalent to like, okay, do some push-ups. <laughs> yeah, I would have preferred to do push-ups. I would have done that as a kid. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's bring it back to you, man. So you have a degree sure. in international business and I yeah. jumped at this because, you know, I studied business for many years. Nice. Major in management with marketing. So I know roughly, I mean, obviously it depends. Education system is different in every country. But um, I just wanted to know what prompted you to get into this degree? Because this is quite a far departure from, you know, what you do for a living. Like you're an actor, or, you know, musician, right. all of these things. And, you know, while things like business and marketing have their uses within, you know, what we do, um, it is very different. So I just wanted to kind of know, like, you know what why you did this and um was it worth it as well that's uh, one question i want to know yeah that's a good question um i got into it because i, I growing up i knew i wasn't going to be a geologist like my dad um and i think mainly because i knew science and math came easier to him than to me i think i was more the humanities and the arts uh, but I had a fascination for business because I, I noticed that he would travel to all these amazing places, um, the UK, Sweden, um, uh, Holland, um, uh, the Caribbean. He's been to like all of Latin America, just about, I mean, just about every country I can think of in Latin America. So, and so yeah, I was <laughs> jealous. I was like, I want to travel. I really want to do that. And I even had a fascination with like, Africa uh, because of the kids I would meet that were from South Africa. So I would hear a lot of amazing things about uh, that particular part of the world uh, as well as uh, Europe and Asia. I mean, I, I definitely wanted to travel. So I decided, yeah, why not major in something that would eventually as a professional uh, take me from one place to the other. And I think that's what really prompted me to do that. Nice, man. Nice. And, you know, were there any key lessons that you, you learned from university? Because like, I feel like for, for myself, what I took away from uni was more tied with the experiences and the people I met, like the actual degree itself. I, I make jokes about this. I don't 
like everything that I've done in marketing, like for work purposes, I learned from scratch through the jobs. Like the degree, it was fun. There was theory and stuff, but I haven't used it at all. Like oh, everyone, wow. everyone's, <laughs> well, everyone's not yet. You never know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You never know. You never know. But like, you know, everyone's experience of university is different. So like, what would you say you took from it or what are the key lessons takeaways that you, that you had? Uh, I'd say the key lessons would be the discipline. Um, I had very good professors. Uh, the university I went to is Sam Houston State University. And it's when it first started as a university, it was a teacher's college. Hmm. So, uh, and then it began to grow and um, specialize in criminal justice. And then they have a business department. And from what I heard now, they have a, a film department. I'm jealous. I'm like, really? That's, I wish I would have had that <laughs> yeah. option. And uh, it's known for its broadcasting too. Like some of our, our well-known broadcasters nationally in the USA uh, were schooled there. So I, I think uh, the discipline is what I get, got from that experience. And also, um just putting a lot of work in everything that I do. A lot of the professors, uh, there's a saying that goes that it's easy to get into that university, but it's difficult to get out and it's true because they really make you work for your degree. And, um, and I would say that's something that I really utilize now in everything I do is just the discipline and the dedication to everything. So that's, that's interesting. I'm glad I asked you that because I got to say like, in my experience, at least at unis and the university, it's very like laissez-faire. Like it's like, yeah, you know, you've paid all this money and um, you know, it's, it's your degree and stuff, but we're not going to push you. Like that's up to you. And you know, like that's, that's your thing. Cause I, I realized like when I came to uni, I had to basically relearn everything. Like what, what we've been doing, at, uh, we call it a level. So it's the studies between 16 to 18. It's like the tail end of, it's like after high school, but just before uni. Right. Right. um, This particular way that we were doing assignments and stuff uh, was like not wrong, but just not what you do at uni. Do you know what I mean? You know, like you have when you come there, you learn about like journals and you know how you do your research, how you do your study. Like everything's different, right? That's true. Yeah. So it's like with that, I feel that you know all of that you do yourself is basically my point. Like, you know, it's, it's up to you. The whole you degree experience is up to you in terms of, you know, how hard you push yourself or maybe you don't push yourself. You know, I knew people that were repeating years again and again. And I'm like, Dan, this is costing you like more and more money as well. Like this isn't like, you know, when you're at school and you could skip a year and it's fine. It's like, this is serious, you know? Um, right. But I remember that, you know, like the teacher's attitudes and the principals and all that were very like, you know, if you mess around, that's, that's up to you. Like they didn't care. And I'm just kind of like, wow. Okay. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> going to tell me you're out of line. You need to. <laughs> well, it's refreshing. What I'm saying is it's refreshing to hear that like you went to a university where they were like, you know, they pushed you and, and they got the most yeah. out of you. So it's good. They were, like, they were strict. Yeah. They were, they were pretty strict. And that was, that was very well needed uh, during that time. Um, the way I was back then. And would you, and would you say that like the degree or sorry, the, the business side of things did, has it helped you at all with your career? Like, has it made a difference? 
It has. I, I, I'm a firm believer in the saying that everything happens for a reason. And, and I guess I'm living proof of that because um, the job I have now, I'm currently working for the public access television channel. That, right. So it's a nonprofit in which that gives everybody an opportunity in the city to create their own program for TV in any format. It could be a film, it could be documentary. And uh, that's where my degree actually played into effect because uh, mm. I had never worked for a nonprofit prior to my position. But Coming in, I came in as, as a part-time and then I eventually started getting promoted to like full-time and uh, staff producer, now the outreach director. So I, I think, yeah, it everything that I did at the university really helped. Um, and I'm glad I double majored in international business and economics because, um, you know, that was able to give me a wider scope of what I wanted to do. And uh, minoring in speech actually got me out of my shyness that I developed in um, in my teenage years. <laughs> yeah, well, well done, man. Good, good on you. I'm I'm, tr- I'm you. trying to actually get into volunteering and that that side of things myself as well. And it's it's funny. I mean, I can't speak for everywhere, but in the UK, like uh, in this area where I'm in right now, it's like any typical job situation so it's like i'm already applying for what jobs anyway now i'm applying for volunteer stuff as well and it's like no we're still gonna you know push you we're still gonna make you run like you know right. yeah. <laughs> i'm yeah. giving you my time people <laughs> totally yeah totally. but fair play no you want the best of the best don't you you want people that are gonna be committed and work hard and and, and stuff and i i get that yeah but um yeah so let's let's move it forward. Let's go straight into another aspect of, of your career. Um, according to your IMDb, you had a career in banking, which yeah. I found quite interesting. Um, but I wanted to look at the, the customer service side of this because <laughs> I've worked in customer services quite extensively over the years. And w- was the position that you did at any point customer facing or was it behind the scenes? It was completely customer facing. I think they realized that I enjoyed being around people and, you know, I talked a lot. So they're like, oh, we need to put them. Nobody wants to deal with all the customers that are upset because of whatever, (laughs) you know, when you're dealing with people's money, any little thing to get them upset. It's like, you owe me one cent. It's like, okay. And um, so, so they had me deal with all that. I think that also helped with what I'm doing as an actor too, because uh, not to say that you would get along with everyone, but you learn the different personality types in which you can make it at least uh, civil <laughs> where you can work together for the time and just say thank you um, until the next project. Do you, do you have any like crazy stories from that time? I mean, I feel like in I America... Do. Oh, please share a few. I, I would love to hear. In America, yeah, Americans are very colorful, very colorful. I, I guess with any part of the world, but especially here, I had one lady at a, at a particular location at a particular uh, bank branch um, that she came in and she said, we were about to close and we were getting ready. And all of a sudden she walks in and she's like, they're after me, they're after me. And she starts oh. laying out all of her items on a little table we had there. I'm like, um, okay, who's after you? <laughs> And she, she's acting as if she's going to have a picnic and all her belongings are spread out. And she said, the Kennedys, the Kennedys. I'm like, the Kennedys. And, and part of me was laughing in, inside internally. <laughs> and I said, oh, you mean like John F. Kennedy Jr.? And she's like, yes. Oh, okay. And, and uh, she started mentioning, and, and Robert Kennedy too. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, you know um, what's going to happen, right? I'm like, no. And, and she's like, uh, they're trying to silence me. I'm like, why are they trying to silence you? So I knew something was not right with her. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, after 30 minutes of like trying to convince her that everything's going to be okay. Dad, you talked to this uh, woman for 30 minutes? <laughs> trying Jeez. to convince her that everything is going to be fine. And I didn't know what to tell her because I'm like, okay, I remember from my psychology classes certain things, but mm -hmm. I, I mean, not enough to deal with this particular situation. So then uh, somebody, uh, a teller was signaling to me, like telling me <laughs> to hurry up. So I said, okay. And uh, I said, you know, we're closing. We really have to go. It's not safe to be here because you said the Kennedys are after you and they're trying to assassinate you. And she's like, oh yes, it's scary. And I'm like, I think I saw somebody out there. Oh, that's right. No. And she said, oh my God, I need to get my stuff. And I'm like, you'll be safe. I'm gonna, I'm gonna distract them. And then you run out the door and uh, you'll be saved. He'll, he'll be paying attention to what I'm doing and that'll give you an opportunity to make a run for it. She's like, okay. And she grabs her stuff and we lock it immediately. So, you know, that's my, my crazy story out of many, but. <laughs> Damn, I wasn't expecting that. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Oh, it's, 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 the, the, one of the reasons I asked was that, you know, I, I find that when you've worked in customer services, it, it kind of teaches you a lot about <laughs> just how, what people are like. And yes. as you said, like, you know, if you study things like psychology and stuff that that helps too. But I find that, as you said, like, you know, if you're managing something that's very personal to them, like with me, I worked in, uh, you know, hospitality and um, supermarkets. Oh. So it was always dealing with things that, you know, I suppose essential, you know, food and, and all of these things, but like people just lose themselves. They just seem to kind they of, do. I don't know, like, like I think in my very first year of, of like working in a supermarket, I, I was pretty stunned. I was just like this 18 year old kid and you know, I'm hearing all these like abusive words and crazy situations. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. And then after a while, like I just kind of, went with the flow it's like uh -huh, this is just customer services is what it's like and then there's a break go into university and start taking these these hospitality jobs on the side right and then when i got into those jobs i then looked back at my time in you know supermarkets and was like wow i had it easy then like <laughs> now it's like really shit has hit the fan like people <laughs> the way people yeah. talk to you i mean yes wow. like just have you ever had like a situation like that? Like uh, before we move on, I just want to like, just ask you that real quick. Was there any time, like what was the rudest customer or like Ooh. situation you've ever had? Oh, wow. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I had a job, a part-time job working for um, uh, a cellular phone company. And uh, this one businesswoman who I found out later was a life coach and she was some type of minister. I don't know, motivational person. Uh, I was new. I was fresh out of training and I was trying to um, get everyone's cell phones to work properly and barely learned everything. And, and most of the staff that was like under 21, I think the night before they all went out drinking. So for uh, them, that was considered a, a sickness that they couldn't show up to work. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, so she walks in and I'm trying to help her. She's in a hurry and she's getting frustrated because I'm taking too long. And I was having technical issues um, with setting up her phone. And yeah, she started being very verbally abusive. Um, and, and I think th there's a certain stereotype of people if they're dressed a certain way or if they're 
a certain gender, maybe they're like, oh, they're harmless. It's like, I think any living, breathing human being that can move can be harmful and dangerous. You know, I don't believe in a label or a stereotype. Mm. Um, but yeah, she was very verbally abusive, um, even used a racial slur oh, wow. to, toward okay. me. Yeah, okay. it, it, to my face. And it just baffles me that this was an individual that calls himself a life coach and a minister. Um, so I, that's why I'm a firm believer. I don't believe in labels because I think somebody could be wearing a garbage bag and be the kindest person in the world. Mm. Uh, and somebody with a business suit can be the most rotten <laughs> human being, you know? So, uh, yeah. And I think as an actor, that really taught me a lot about the human condition. Just, um, uh, you just need to know, get to know the essence of the person and not so much what you see with your eyes. Kind of perplexes me as well that this person <laughs> chose to be racist towards you when they're trying to get <laughs> yeah. something from, do you know what I mean? It's like it, right. it, basic logic. If you're trying to get something from the other person maybe don't insult them like right. just an idea just a thought i don't know yeah i think what that <laughs> taught me too is i i it taught me to be a, a much better customer not that i was that way with anyone but i think i'm even more empathetic now with mm. with servers especially they ask me how i'm doing and i'm like oh i'm good but more importantly how are you doing and they're like shocked like Nobody ever asked me that. I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know. And I, the reason why I know that is because I've worked with the public for so long and yeah. I, I feel your pain. So I told them I'm, I'm very patient. So if you mess up, it's not such a big deal. You know, I always follow up as well with like, I've been there, man. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of look yeah, down to the floor. And... <laughs> right. it's like, a, like, oh, you've, yeah, you felt the pain too, huh? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> anyway, let's totally. move it forward. Uh, thank you very mm-hmm. much for sharing. That's awesome, man. Sure. Um, Again, according to your IMDb, everyone check it out. Roger Palomino, Roger E. Palomino on IMDb. You can get everything there. It's very, I'm very impressed like, in terms of uh, oh, thank you. You know, marketing and stuff like that. Just top notch. <laughs> thank uh, you. Thank you. Yeah. Like I said in the preamble, you're a TV host, a writer, co-producer, actor. How do you ju- like find the time to kind of juggle all of these things? And which positions do you like the most out of all of those? Like, you know, you, you're, you're doing a lot of different things and, you know, even with me, I, I do a lot of different things, but I have my favorites, I guess, things that I gravitate more towards. Like what are your favorites from them? And yeah, how do you manage them all? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I, I try not to um, bite off more than I can chew. So whenever I have a specific project in mind, I try to prepare for it um, ahead of time. But um, but I would say my most favorite, that one's a tough one. I think most recently because I've taken, I've tackled the, the duties of a, a producer for a short film. I think I enjoyed that because I think that taught me things that I really didn't know about myself, about delegating a project, um, seeing it through. And I believe because I'm a very analytical person, I think way ahead and so I'm always paying attention to the scene, like different things that could be involved in a scene, like, you know, the background, um, the objects that the character would have, the little nuances that they do, just every little minute detail. If their hair grew maybe like half an inch on the side, that's something I pay attention to. And I think that that sounds very OCD, <laughs> but uh, I think it helps to be that way if you're in, in something like film production or TV production, mm-hmm. because um, I think the people that you work with will appreciate you more. I would say if you pay attention to the fine details. 
I couldn't agree more. Like I remember I was doing a short film that back in Estonia and um Oh wow. Because of like they basically we've basically filmed let's say 90% of it in like one particular week and I obviously started the project with a bit of a beard, right? So for continuity purposes, keep growing the beard. And it was right. fine that we were sort of growing it you know, or I was growing it, right? But my beard sometimes can grow very quickly, right? So when we got to the final scene, this was a scene that was supposed to precede everything we'd already done. So I was like, oh, yeah. ah, oh, <laughs> uh, this is a bit tricky. Um, <laughs> and in the end, it didn't really matter. You couldn't, you couldn't really tell, but it, it bugged me. It, it, and like, I feel that when you say that, like the OCD part of it, I'm like, oh no, I don't want it to, because the thing is those fine details can pull you out. You know, it's like when, uh, for instance, when uh, Game of Thrones was in its last season and, you know, there was that famous scene where there was like a coffee cup on the, uh, on the oh, table, yes. Starbucks coffee yeah. cup or something. And it was like, oh no, like, no. <laughs> yeah, I would be the one halting production saying, wait a minute, we need to get that out of the shot. <laughs> yeah. And if the director says, oh, but we, the time, I'm like, great. We were, I know we're limited on time, but we need to get that out of the shot. <laughs> I, it just blows my mind because obviously it's, it's filmed like, you know, what, a year in advance, probably longer. And it's, obviously they had to CGI it out later, but come Luckily, on, man. There's... How, can, how can you not notice that? Like it's... Yeah, <clears throat> and, and sometimes even accidents happen on a set. Like we had on our short uh, called Ausencia, which is uh, translated to the absence of, um, there was a scene where there was a picture on the wall that was very pivotal to the plot. And uh, the character I played is looking at it, and, but there's a glare from the sun. So uh, you were mentioning CGI. So I, I did bring somebody on board. His name is Jason Bolds, a very talented special effects guy that works with us. He's the one that corrected that because had it not been for him correcting that, um, you wouldn't have been able to see the picture, which was very important for the scene. And um, so, yeah, I'm grateful too that, that uh, software like that exists even today because that, that'll save a project big time. Yeah, it's that old expression of uh, fix it in post, I guess, is where, where that right. comes from. But like, it's, exactly. I do think that like a lot of the time it's very important to kind of get it right. You know what I mean? Like, when you're there the kind of thing time. yeah because some things are really difficult and you and you simply can't change you know what I mean? when i think of like music for example it's it's definitely like that like if if something just isn't sung good enough it's not sung good enough you know what i mean and, and no right. amount of like editing is is going to change that and with exactly. acting I, th I think it's the same thing it's like sometimes you just need to nail it as much as you can you know when when you do it so that raw footage is is then you know, you're able to do something with it if you do need to like tweak it here and there. Exactly. But um, yeah, <laughs> thanks for sharing, man. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, actually, before we move on, like, what, what were your favorite parts about doing, you know, doing that particular like role? Like, what 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 would you say you enjoyed the most about that? I think what I enjoyed the most is um, having the opportunity to play a character so so uh, three dimensional, um, a character that. Uh, was dealing with so much at one time and, and touching on issues of non-binary because um, here in the oh, okay. USA, we finally have um, terminology and things to really explain everything that's happening with, with people. Mm. Um, but in other parts of the world, especially in Latin America, that's something that's still relatively new. And, and that's the thing about Latin American culture that <clears throat> because I guess maybe traditionally it's so traditional 
that it's really hard to talk about certain topics out loud. So maybe that's why there, there aren't specific terms tied to, to a specific individual yet, but the conversations are starting. And that's something that I found that was very important for this project. Um, uh, not just touching on LGBTQ issues, but touching on so many other things around that. And I think this character was so important for me at a time uh, in which I was learning quite a bit about what it's like to be in this specific individual's shoes. So, uh, and I'm grateful that it's touched so many people as well. You know, I, I remember like, because oh, I've been a supporter of like LGBTQ, like for just since ever <laughs> you know? yeah and uh but when this stuff started started coming up about you know gender um i guess the what would we call it just the gender debate or something right oh yeah 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 like identity and expression. gender identity right 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 yeah i i remember kind of initially kind of thinking it was all ridiculous and like I, in fairness i didn't really know much about it i would just see like you know you those classic memes and like the crazy stuff you sometimes see in america and stuff and so i didn't right. take it very seriously <laughs> and then i started seeing like little things like you know obviously what happened in canada with with the law change and you know it becoming like a legal requirement and stuff but i remember then it it went from me like not taking it seriously and kind of seeing it as a bit of a joke to then me kind of taking it seriously but kind of poking holes in it and kind of thinking well okay if, if this is something to be taken seriously like you then have to kind of change society right you then have to think right. okay we, we've always been like male female right so now we've right. got like change everything and that takes time and you and you and that was why i had that concern because you know obviously with canada going ahead and, and changing it it was like okay you've done that and we know why you've done that and i don't personally have an issue with that but what you're asking people to do is to change something that they're kind of not familiar with you know they don't fully understand and that was my argument as well it's like if everything is laid out and it's very clear and it's like this is the way it is and you can be like okay okay and then so then you would look at yourself and be like because I, I i do this a lot with things anything in life you know i'm a very open-minded person so when i look at something particularly something that i don't like or i have an issue with i look at it and i'm like well why do i have an issue with that thing like what what is it about that that i don't like and i couldn't right. find anything that i disliked about it other than you know the fact that it just wasn't ironed out exactly and i thought that that could be damaging potentially if there's like a, a misunderstanding there, like I thought that people would exploit it. And there has been examples of people doing that here and there. Right. I think, as you said, the more information that you have, uh, the, the more, it, you know, it is kind of easier to understand. Like it, when I boiled it down to its simple, it's part, right. It was like, okay. So people that are like in this third category, which is probably the easiest way to put it, like male, female, third like that that's kind of the kind of most understandable way for me i know there's like many many variations and stuff i get that but like right when you just try and make it simplistic it's like okay i get it i get it um what, what's the key thing that someone wants they want you to accept them as they are and they want mm -hmm. you to refer to them with like specific terms right so if um let's go with the easiest one if, if it's if it's like third then it's like they them or something like that right and i was like can i do that Yes, I can. So what's the issue? No issue. And I was like, okay, well, we're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But like, I think the problem 
as you said, like in certain parts of the world is there is not enough information. There's not enough debates. I can tell you in the UK, you know, while it is debated and stuff, it's not quite at the level where it's like changed and everyone understands. Cause I feel that like with everything else, like with, you know, homosexuality, for example, bisexuality mm -hmm. or whatever, like it's very clear and it's like, Oh yeah, that's straightforward. Like, why would you have an issue? It's, it's so simple and straightforward. Um, but crucially there's information, lots and lots of information. <laughs> right. Whereas I feel with yeah. this, there, there isn't as much. So it's good that we have projects like the one that you were in where it's kind of highlighting, um, you know, well, it's giving information and it's also, you know, depicting this as well. You know, I mean, it's not, so, it's not completely new. I, I do know that obviously in Star Trek, you know, classically there were, there were characters that were, you know, non-binary and or tr transgender or wh whatever you want to call it. Like, um, I won't go into too much detail. I'm a big Star Trek fan, but like, I remember yeah, this yeah. thing many years ago, like, it's not like a completely new idea, but it's, probably in the 2010s is where it started getting its rooting and its footing and stuff. And, you know, I think it's, it's good that, you know, artists like yourself are, are bringing that to the forefront and kind of um, giving information. I think that's important because we don't have enough information. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why like early on too, like one of my favorite artists, I would say that can represent the non-binary spectrum a lot is David Bowie. And that's why so many yeah. people here love him, love him. Um, <clears throat> so much because of that and so you know I drew my inspiration from many uh, people for the role but yeah I paid attention to David Bowie too nice I'm a big Bowie <laughs> fan how can you not yeah be? how can oh. right how can anybody in the world not be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even in the most remote place that has maybe no access to electricity they know who David Bowie is I, I'll be honest it's one of those he's one of those people I've never I've never met someone that didn't like Bowie right me either <laughs> awesome Honestly. anyway or has never heard of him i mean everybody has heard of him even if you can barely communicate in the same language so <laughs> let's bring, let's bring it back to you man um what do you sure. like most about acting oh i love what i love about acting is continuously learning about the human condition um for me i consider myself a little bit more method i draw from a lot of my experiences but if I don't have those emotional experiences for the specific role, um, I'll at least know somebody or at least try to talk to somebody a lot about that specific maybe um, situation or emotion. But I think that's what I enjoy the most. And for me, it's, it's almost like a very therapeutic experience. Like, wow, I walked a thousand miles in this individual's shoes. Now I have a different perspective or maybe a bigger appreciation. And I also love that you're able to reach people in a way that you, to me, it seems like you can't in, in um, a different profession. Like if you want to get your point across, instead of maybe having like a round table discussion, almost like a political debate, you could just show that in the form of something like film. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. I mean, it's, it's kind of like what we were saying before. It's like getting across certain messages or information that isn't otherwise necessarily readily available. You know, it's, it's a great, great medium. You know, everyone yeah. pays attention to, to movies. Everyone. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, exactly. this, is, this is something that I'm getting happier about as well, because I feel that big movies at the moment are kind of doing a half half job with with representation it's like certain movies and tv shows 
they're getting it right. Like, I'll give you a real quick example, right? I've, I've said this before on the sure. podcast, but since we're talking about it, I remember in, in Star Trek, um, in the Picard series, they portrayed a, a lesbian relationship, right? Uh, right? But the way they did it was really clever because like the two characters, it's never said, but it's kind of hint, it's like implied, I guess, through their character. Like when you basically, when you see them together, it's like at the end of an episode, and it's not like focused on like massively. It's kind of like panned around and it's like, okay, so this is happening now. Um, right. But it makes sense. It's logical. It works for the characters. Great. We like this. This is good. Right. But then you yeah. see it in like other movies or shows. Like I remember seeing it in possibly the final star Wars movie. There was just a random lesbian kiss. Right. And I was right. like, right. But where's the context? Where's the story? Like where's, you know, like this wasn't, this was just random. And you just know that it was thrown in, in, in a, I thought, cause this was like a celebratory sequence, right? It's like, we've won, we've beat the bad guys. Yeah. Like celebrate party. Great. Right. Like feel good moment. Um, and they f- just threw it in there. And I was like, I mean, I know what you're doing and that's why I don't like it. It's not that I don't like this. This is great, but I just don't like why you're doing it. The movie makers, they're trying to be like, we're woke. We know what we're doing. We're trying to be involved. And it's like, I think there's ways to do this. And I would like to see more of, of like the first example, you know what I mean? Where it's like, just kind of portrayed as like, this is life rather than like, this is our quick 15 second, throw it in. So we're covering all bases kind of approach. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It kind of makes you question, what are their motives? Like maybe they're doing it because they realize like, oh, there's a big, viewing base that is lgbtq let's just throw this in there even though there's no um specific plot or you know three-dimensional character that we can develop let's just throw it in there just for the sake of throwing it in there but i think that's why i love independent film from not Mm. just the usa but all over the world because we could tell better stories and uh, stories that are real yeah I, i agree man and like it's funny like it's only more in recent years that i've been you know doing things like youtube and a podcast and obviously looking at things developing as they are things like blm as as an example you know that i've started to realize like how kind of weird it is that there's like so many decades of film and media that is literally just white men and women acting and that's it and very little you know kind of people watching yeah yeah and it's it's like i don't i'm not trying to get on a tirade or anything it's just like how society has changed over the years but when i think back it's like, it's just pretty weird when you think about it. It's like, well, this isn't really like a representation of like society, is it? It's, this is just like, no. you know what I mean? Like, like so sometimes you find movies, great movies, like, you know, there's not, it's not like a reason for them to be necessarily like uh, disregarded. It's just that they just happen to have like, for instance, no black people in. And it's like, huh, that is weird. You know, it's like, it is, it is. <laughs> and you're right, because I, I feel like, um, Unless, like, especially with casting, I feel like everybody has an opportunity to contribute to a project. Unless you're doing a documentary about Finland in the 1500s. I mean, does it really matter what somebody looks like on the outside necessarily? I mean, it's, and you're right. I've thought about that myself too, through my experiences when I audition and they're saying, oh, Mm. you're not right for the role. And And I'm like, am I not right because of the way I sound or is it the way I look? You know, it's like, those are the things that you kind of, ask yourself and so when i'm 
when I eventually get involved in casting, I'm, I'm going to have a completely different mindset. I'm going for, like, for example, you project a lot. I'd say if I were to cast you in something immediately, I would cast you as the, the doctor that's going to deliver the bad news to the patient. Yeah. Why? Because you, I don't know, you convey this, this certain energy, like if you're going to give somebody bad news, they, they won't necessarily freak out as much. And if they do, they'll feel more comfortable doing it with you. You have like a, I don't know, you have like this trusting energy that you convey. Oh, you know, whether you, whether you believe it yourself or not, but it's, it's something that, that, you know, an audience member, you know, and those that watch this podcast can probably, you know, argue or, or agree with me, but, um, but I would say that's the energy you convey. So if I were to cast you immediately in something, I'd say as a doctor delivering bad news. It's funny. I, I knew you were giving a serious answer, so I didn't want to like, interrupt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the whole time I'm like, just like, I can ruin it by saying this or this. Because, yeah, I like to have a laugh and stuff. And it's just funny because a lot of the time, like, I really like to play villains because I'm not like a, like, I feel weird saying this, but like, I consider myself as a good person. I've been told. Yeah, that's the energy you convey. Right, yeah. right. But conversely, I just love to play complete asshole i just love that like it it's yeah. like well i'm not gonna ever be like this in real life so why not be really like super horrible and and also like show a range because i feel like as an actor it's very easy to get like pigeonholed or or cornered and, and like this is all you can do this is this is you and nothing else and i like i love that when a, when a bra an actor breaks out and they do they play like a despicable character and you, and you hate them for it and it's it's great that's what acting should be and um yeah. i often think about that like um you know with with sort of like aspiring to become an, a professional actor i think about like well what are the different things i could do what do i want to do what do i want to try and you know um i, I suppose it's it, it's, it's not easy I, I don't think obviously but it's it's not something that like necessarily comes to everyone you know i think everyone's range is different and it's not necessarily a bad thing if you don't have like a big range i mean maybe you're just really really good in one particular area but right. um, i feel like you're gonna get more you know roles and, and probably have a longer more successful career if you have a bigger range maybe yeah and not every actor for example <clears throat> and it's not a bad thing not every actor has a very commercial look you know maybe yeah. they have looks specifically for like you're going to be the character actor or you're going to be the the face that represents this organization because you know you have this appeal visually that you know everybody men and women love uh so so yeah i mean if if you have a specific uh set of skills and maybe you convey a certain energy then yeah i think the right casting person should be honest and say you're more for like in your case um other than the doctor i would cast you like in a period piece like if i were to do something about Ooh. like america in the early 20th century if you shaved and put you in one of those suits like the great gatsby um <sighs> it's believable i i i could I could visualize I would, you in that. I would because, adore it. I would adore being. Yeah, so would I. I, and, and I always reference those because I love, you know, um, the golden era of Hollywood from that time. Just everything about it. I love period pieces. <laughs> I, just, I always wish people dressed like that. Like, you know, my ideal style is basically like that or like, you know, Matt Smith as Doctor Who, that kind of like classic, you know, blazers, tweed, 
bow ties, all that stuff. It's great. Like, why do more why people I, dress I, like that? <laughs> and and yeah, and that's why I wore this shirt because I actually got it from the UK. This is like oh, really? go back to like the Mod Squad from the late sixties. But yeah, yeah, this yeah, is actually yeah, from yeah. the UK. So <laughs> cool, awesome, yeah. awesome. Well, th thank you. I'm having so much fun just chatting to you here. But Me I want to try and kind of like bring this back to you. Um, sure. What are your main goals and aspirations with acting? My main goals are to eventually form my own production company. Um, and, and I still love what I do uh, in my current role um, as the outreach director where I'm at right. with a public access station. But, but yeah, I eventually want to have my own production company. And I think uh, because of a lot of what you mentioned, I, I want to, I want to develop projects and films that all actors can be proud of. And, um, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with Ryan Murphy's work. No, I don't, I don't know necessarily. Uh, he, he's done like, um, American Horror Story, Glee, ah, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ratchet, <laughs> uh, American Crime Story. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's, that's, such a, follow... that's such a range as well. Cause it's like, <laughs> I love American Horror Story, but I hate Glee. Like, wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Play. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and I say I want to follow his suit because um, he, what he bases his projects on is the same thing, what the actor can portray and convey to an audience. It doesn't matter their age or what they look like, um, because as you know, Hollywood still to this day, you know, especially if you're a woman, if you're in your 30s, they're like, sorry, we don't have anything for you. And it's like, well, I could still play 30. It's like, yeah, but you know, you don't, you don't look right, even though you are 30. It's like, well, wait a minute. So it's very yeah, insulting because there's, there's a lot of talented actors. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But, but Ryan Murphy, I think his mindset is you could be 105, male mm. or female. If you still have the energy to act and you can convince an audience of something, then he's going to hire you. And I want to have that same mindset too. I don't want to just limit it to you know, a certain type, a certain look, a certain age. I think that, um, and who knows, maybe I'm developing more of a European mindset as far as like actors, because I, I see a lot of brilliant actors in Europe that mm. are in their retirement years and they're brilliant. And, you know, that's the type of environment I want to have in a project. I remember like, even when I was in Estonia, like there were certain actors there, top of their game for Estonia. And I was like, they could easily be in a major picture. Like I, I'll never yeah. forget. There's this one guy, um, Oh, his name is Mike Melmstein, right? And um, he's, pr yeah, principally just like top of his game in, in Estonia, right? And I saw him a couple of times in Estonia, but one time I saw him in the UK, he'd actually come over specially. And at the time I was, I was dating an Estonian woman. So we went to this Estonian house. It was funny because it like looked out of place in the rest of the street. It was nice. And uh, we went and we saw, and he basically did this kind of like, one man show uh, entirely in Estonian had subtitles and stuff, but he did, just did it himself. And I knew this guy was a good actor, but then when I saw him do that and basically talk at length for like, I don't know, like an hour or something and like paint this story, I was just transfixed. I was just like, wow, that's, that's talent right there. When you can do something like that and, and with very little as well. I feel like, you know, it's very easy, um, to, to do convincing acting when all the tools are given to you and stuff. But sometimes it's better when it's like taken away from you and it's made harder. And you know what I mean? Like I feel like a, it's kind of an obvious point to make, but a, to me, a good actor is, is someone who's versatile and can kind of work with any situation and just make that work. Whatever. Right. 
you know but yeah i i couldn't agree more with you on that i think there's a lot of good talent out there and um it's untapped let's say yeah untapped <laughs> yeah and and like you said having an appreciation for like a certain time in history if you can find ways to save money and create that and recreate it even better and that's also one of my goals too is eventually recreate a lot of things that you would probably see in the 40s or 30s and um but modernize it a bit absolutely absolutely uh, i'm gonna take you a little bit down a serious route now just while i have a bit um a bit of time left with you um sure so obviously growing up as in the usa as a man from south america um this, this is a twofold question so um i hope you don't mind me asking this but i think no, it's not at all. important Shoot. so basically you know you're from south america you're also you know a proud gay man as well um yes. I wanted to kind of find out what the biggest challenges you faced during this time in terms of discrimination have been, because we know that America is, is very varied and, you know, yeah, I, I find this too, that like, there's a big difference between like the reality of racism and, and um, homophobia in terms of like what people talk about and then there's like right. the everyday reality that people lead and obviously depends where you're living depends on your community depends on a lot of things but a mm -hmm. lot of the time everyone has a couple of stories you know and, and stuff like that and i kind of wanted to kind of gauge an idea of the sort of biggest challenges you face because obviously you're going into this industry you know the entertainment industry and as you kind of outlined before through the, throughout the course of this conversation, sometimes certain things put you at a disadvantage in the eyes of like a casting director or something. And it shouldn't, it's ridiculous, but you right. know, that's, that's the mentality of, of certain, you know, uh, companies or certain um, directors or whatever. And I always kind of attribute this to that kind of institutional perspective you know institutional racism or, or like right whatever. you know it's, it's always kind of a, like this and it doesn't necessarily have to be like specifically a company or something but it's like that mentality of like this is how it is we're not budging outside of this that's how it is kind of thing and, and obviously that restricts people from different groups as you said like there's still sexism in hollywood where there shouldn't be and right it's ridiculous so bringing it back I just wanted to know, like, what are the biggest challenges that you face? Um, in, in the industry, right? In, um, in, in your, in your, in your personal life as well. Cause I think that that's, is, is, is interesting and, and, and worthwhile too. Yeah. Um, I'd say in this city, you know, that's the thing about Houston, uh, Texas, uh, we're quickly becoming the third largest city in the USA. We're very international. Right. Um, but even though that's the case, I still feel like not everyone, but maybe just a few, maybe handfuls of people still might view you as like, you know, you could look a certain way on the outside and it doesn't matter how you conduct yourself or how you dress. They still have this preconceived notion, like if you are a foreigner and you happen to be from Latin America, that you're automatically either A, running away from something or B, <laughs> trying to take somebody's job. And I'm like, <clears throat> I remember somebody told me something once that made a lot of sense. They're like, you can't take something away from someone that they didn't already have or didn't work for. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Because everything I've had in life, I've had to really work hard for. And, and like you said, it's many times when you're the minority in a specific situation, you have to 
constantly prove yourself um and and not just as a latin american but as a gay man too because mm. you know people still have stereotypes about you know attributing being gay whether you're male or female to like male and female gender roles and you know they're completely separate and um so i would say that my biggest challenge would be just that the no matter what I do or say or act, people still are going to have a preconceived notion of me, no matter what. Um, but despite that, those challenges, um, I just follow what a lot of successful, strong women have done. You know, despite all of the obstacles, um, they just continue and move forward. They're like, yeah, you know, the, the best way to reach someone is just by being successful. And you're successful when you try to reach your goals regardless of all the challenges that you have because no matter what we're all as uh as humanity we're always going to be challenged in life and it's not uh what makes someone successful the number of challenges but how you overcome them or try to overcome them and you know would you say that your experience or your overall experience now is like better or worse compared to say like 10 years ago 15 years ago like has it gotten better it's gotten better um i think because i i always try to do what has been given to me as advice is surround yourself by people that you want to learn from mm. or that give you a lot as far as like a support system and I've, i'm grateful that i at least have family and close friends and co-workers too that i consider like a family and friends that have always constantly supported me they um you know they they know that i'm that i'm out and gay and so they're very supportive of that and i think because maybe they they're all artists and that mm. might have something to do with it but i would say i'm i'm lucky that uh life has taken me down this path and um so i try to utilize every opportunity to the best of my abilities <laughs> but like in terms of like you know where where you live in the in the places that you tend to go and stuff like would you say the overall kind of people walking down the street you know do you know what i mean like are people maybe more like more normal more accepting i don't know how to phrase it correct do you know what i mean like it's kind of yeah because i feel that like i've been very lucky in the uk growing up here that i feel that like i've seen racism i've seen homophobia i've seen all of these different things but i'd say like the average person in the uk is very you know, not racist, not sexist, not homophobic. You know, we're just a very accepting nation, I think, in general. And particularly right. in places like London, where it's like so highly multicultural and, you know, like the city is so, so built on that. You know what I mean? It's, it's like you said, right. it's like when you have a highly international place, it's built on, on, on that premise. So <laughs> being racist or something like that it would just be illogical. But um, yeah. I, I do kind of, because uh, I asked another guest about this as well, and I feel that, like, it's an important question to ask to kind of gauge where we're headed. Do you know what I mean? Because there's a very big difference between what you think, what you see online, and then kind of, like, what people's experiences are. So, like, would you say that it's gotten better? Like, maybe you get less discrimination than you experienced growing up or something like that? Like, I would say so. I mean, we're, we're very lucky as a world that there's more people on TV that look like right. us, sound like us, um, have our life experiences. And I'm grateful that those people are honest and say, you know, this is who I am, take it or leave it. And I, I think because of that, I, <clears throat> I would say when I walk down the street now, um, I, I'd say people are, are, I wouldn't say more accepting, but they just accept 
what they see and what they experience. So um, I'm grateful for that. And, uh, and I'm grateful that I live in a city like this because like I said, it's a very um, international city, very young. And so um, this city is very tied to the arts as well. And, and I'm grateful for that. So I would say it's gotten better. Cool. That's good to hear, man. As long as we're headed in the right direction, do you know what I mean? Like, right. That's what I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. true. So you're also a singer. When did you start singing? Oh. And do you have any like major aspirations there, or, or like what's what's the deal there? Yeah, actually, that was an interesting story because uh, you know, growing up in Latin America, I would always hear something on the radio or a record and right, I would yeah. try to emulate the singer. So then, when we moved to the USA, when I was about maybe. 10 years old, 11 years old, my dad put me in singing lessons and nothing okay. came of that. Cause I think, uh, a few months after that <clears throat> he got laid off. And so I stopped going to these, um, singing lessons. But I think one thing that stayed with me was just using the right breathing. Um, mm. and, and as a singer, you kind of know the importance of breathing. So I, uh, that was something that was very much untapped and I didn't tap back into it until I did my first musical on stage um it was an original play called the last chance in calamity gulch um that takes place in the late 19th century in america and so i got to sing on stage and from that point on i started doing little things here and there there's an app that i use where i you know sing and they have the background music and so i'm able to like extract that and put that out there but uh i i wouldn't say i'm um anything anywhere close to being like a professional singer mm. but I, I at least know that i can hit the right notes if i have to for a project um but i was gonna say your voice is amazing so i i really enjoyed <laughs> listening to your <laughs> that i mean you're really good and, and my my goal now is to learn how to play an instrument i want to learn piano because uh, i know you play oh, guitar yeah, but man. i want to learn piano <laughs> i i want to learn piano man that's that's yeah. the next the next one it looks so gorgeous and there's so it many does. good good musicians out there like i i'd love to learn how to play like chopin or something like that just to... oh yes oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> thanks for sharing yeah that, man. yeah um yeah you, you know we were mentioned in the preamble you know you're a trained tap dancer as well uh i thought that was kind of quirky you know you don't come across that every day uh, how long did it take you to learn how to tap dance and um yeah, like just just tell, 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 tell us about tap dancing. <laughs> okay, that, I'm glad you asked that because uh, that was an interesting story. The end of 2016, my goal for the new year, 2017, was to learn tap. And the reason why is we were going to celebrate our 30-year anniversary of being on TV in Houston at my work. Cool. And that was going to be celebrated in August of that year. So I started from January up until like August taking tap. And the instructor was like, you've never taken tap before? And I'm like, no. But she was like, okay, because you seem to have most of the, the movements and rhythms down. Oh. I'm like, okay, I guess that's a good thing. And um, But I told her I grew up watching tap dancers like Sammy Davis Jr., um, the Nicholas brothers, I mean, just amazing tappers here, um, in America. So I said, yeah, you know, that inspired me to like, say, you know what, um, at this point in my life, I want to learn it. And so I did. So I learned it, uh, at least well enough to perform it on stage. And what made that moment so memorable is I got to perform it in front of our mayor of our city, um, oh, okay. which I now I'm, I'm part of the, um, 
uh, Mayor Turner's LGBTQ advisory board now. But um, but yeah, I wanted to perform because I knew it was going to be there and I wanted to make an impression. And I did because then <laughs> uh, backstage, I heard a voice saying, Roger, Roger. And I looked and it was the mayor and he was like, I loved your performance. And so oh, that nice. was something I'm never going to forget. I, I think that was, I was very happy. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks for sharing. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just kind of like bringing it all to a close. Do, do you have any kind of like upcoming projects that you'd like to tell us about or anything we should look out for? Or um, maybe just some final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, um, actually, I'm currently going to be working on a project uh, this weekend that um, I can't really talk too much about it. But all I can say is that it is going to deal with very important issues that are happening in our society. And so I, when I was presented that opportunity, I said, yes, you know, I wanted to expand as an actor uh, in a role I've never done before. So most definitely. Um, and I'm also working on a couple of scripts um, and I'm, I'm working on these scripts based on our current situation with a global pandemic. Uh, things that could be done um, and still following protocol, um, still with like a very limited cast and crew. Um, so uh, those projects actually I don't have a title for yet, but um, I'm just barely starting them now. So. Well, listen, I, I, I wish you the best of luck with them. Um, Thank you. you. Know, I, I think you're a very, very talented uh, person and I really look forward to seeing where you end up. But particularly with, with these projects um, that I think that you're directing and everything like that, like you seem to be very passionate and, you know, it's, it's really encouraging to hear that you're, you know, pursuing this and, and that it's like something like that maybe can become more prevalent in society, especially in the entertainment industry um with things like representation and 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 just yeah just putting out like, real issues there because it's it's great to watch you know a, a hollywood flick every now and again but like it's even better to watch it when it's actually relatable <laughs> and you know like yeah life. yeah so you, you hit the nail on the head i think that's that's key to any project is relatability i i try to keep that in mind relatability and uh what is so international that everyone's going to understand regardless of what language you perform it in. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that it's just funny you say that as well, obviously with your, your main kind of inspirations being, you know, dating all the way back to like Chaplin and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Like obviously a more recent example, I think um, in the UK is obviously Mr. Bean. And I remember growing oh, up, yeah. I, I always used to think, Oh, this is funny. This is silly. But now I look at it and Rowan Atkinson, <laughs> the, the man that portrays him is obviously a, very very intelligent man and he's he's done other things like blackadder and all these other different tv shows right so he's clearly a very yes. intelligent man but mr bean was him playing like a like a fool i guess um or a simple man and yet it was his most successful thing that he's ever done and it had the biggest reach and it's made him like famous everywhere on the planet and it's because of yeah. that exact thing that you said that kind of universal relatability something that you know, anyone can understand, relate to, enjoy, and uh, creating stuff like that is is probably like the ultimate dream for anyone in the entertainment industry, isn't it? To have that kind of reach. yeah, yeah. And if I've been anywhere half successful um, now in acting, it's because I've been paying attention to a lot of um, the the European school of thought when it comes to acting, and um, and that is just try to diversify everything. 
as much as possible. Um, as a performer and actor, try to learn as much as possible. If you're not a singer, at least take some introductory courses. Uh, maybe you don't want to be a singer, but you can at least hit a note or two. Or uh, that way, if you're in a musical, you're able to at least you know do one or two songs. But I, I always say, the more you learn in life, the better. The better you are. And, and on that note, I'd, I'd like to sort of end it there and, and say thank you so much for, yeah. for agreeing to be on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've learned a lot. Yes. And um, I'm sure all of our listeners will be very happy. We're currently like approaching 40 episodes. We're like 35, 36, something like that. Um, so we're, it's, it's getting pretty crazy. But it's, I like this. We're getting all different types of guests on here and we're growing and moving forward and stuff. And you know, it's, it's a real pleasure to have had you on the show and I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you. And uh, yeah, to everyone listening to the Christian Reef podcast, I hope you're enjoying it. As, as I always say, you know, let me know if there's anyone in particular you'd like on the show or if you'd like a particular topic covered or whatever. I'm always open to these things. We recently set up a, uh, a Discord server for, for the podcast for this express reason. You know, I'm, I'm trying to cater for you as much as I can. Okay, guys. <laughs> so, so be, be vocal. Let me know what you want to see, what you want to hear. But uh, yeah, thank you to everyone listening. And until next time, peace out. See you in the next one.